Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Salutations, and welcome to Going Off Track. That was really impressive. Thank you. Salutations is a good word. It just came to me. I like that. Thank you. I would have said congratulations, but I mean... That would just I bet that's a little self-serving, maybe. Gradual, well, that's more to people like me who have been able to navigate the interwebs because I've never felt less... I've never felt more technarchaic in my life. You know, it's funny. I feel like I'm not super techie, but I feel like so often people are like, what are you up to? I'm like, oh, I do this podcast. And they're like, I don't know what a podcast is. So congratulations. If you're listening to this, you know what a podcast is. Yeah. You're way ahead of a lot of people. And you found the best podcast. Yeah. On the, on, and there's on so Earth. many of them. So amazing job. And we are the best. That's right. Right now you're listening to the number one podcast with uh, Stephen Jonah and Brad. This is the best podcast that I do. Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. <laughs> Flat out. Absolutely. Flat out. I'm, By far. <laughs> I'm so bad with, with computers that Brad actually has my computer and he's going to try to make it a better computer. Yeah. Really? I'm going to gut it and I'm going to turbocharge it and then I'm going to make it so it never works again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you yep. know how to fix computers? No, I know how to just replace things. Could you build one, like do that. you think? No. No. By parts, you could hook up a motherboard. Yeah, I don't want to do that. No, but you could. I like things that clip in and, and plug in, and I can, I, I'll do that. I don't want to solder. I don't want to figure out. Mm. Yeah, I understand. You know. It all, it all it, you know, it makes sense, but it all just means magic to me. Like, I, you solder this here and connect this, then power goes through it, and it shows up on a, on a screen, and that's amazing. I, there, don't get me wrong. I would... The main reason is I would it would be a never ending downward spiral because there's so many things there's things I'd like to build you know and like why doesn't somebody robots, build this giant robot I would like to build a giant robot dude I read in giant <laughs> sorry <laughs> in popular science this guy built his own like pirate ship like this like guy in his sixties like spent like ten years building this awesome boat like that can protect against like pirates it's like a pirate ship but it can like it's a pirate proof ship I don't, it's a pirate proof ship yeah excuse me yeah so it's like the cabin somehow like locks in this way where you can't get in and it has all this like satellites to like i don't know so he's he's not even scared of pirates which would be my number one concern See, i'm impressed with that because i'm avoiding pirates right now well, you know it's crazy <laughs> so i know about like the somalian pirates and stuff mm-hmm. it's isn't it fucking crazy that pirates still exist <laughs> now know. Mm-hmm. Like that's like dinosaurs existing. It seems it seems like such a thing that like pirates hijackers, you know. Yeah, but like hi- like but see, 
Like hijacking a plane is one thing, but I feel like getting like hit by pirates, like aren't they monitoring that stuff? They being the uh, NSA or the government. There's or, still the open seas, man. There's the lawless open yeah, seas. I guess and, so. And lawless to the point I just learned about this flags of convenience. Get ready, everyone. Turn dim the lights. It's about to get sexy. Flat okay. Jonah's actually dimming the lights yeah, right now, just flags so you know. Convenient. <laughs> like, if you're not naked by now listening to Going Off Track, this will get you in the mood. Oh, Stephen. And I learned this from reading a freaking comic book. That's how I learned everything. Uh, is that certain shipping companies will, like, to avoid certain laws, will license their boat to a country that doesn't have such stringent Oh yeah, you didn't you know, know this. No, Most know boats, hardly any boat is is registered in a country of origin. Ever. Wait, why is it? It's because it's well for taxes is another taxes reason, is one. but also for regulations. Like yeah, like what's in your boat? Nuclear what? Nuclear whatever the fuck I need because this country doesn't have any rules saying I can't right. have it. Oh, yeah. I see. So international law is the most bonkers thing ever, and that you have to. Um, you know, we have a company, say Halliburton, we have a boat, but we're going to register this boat in the Ivory Coast. You know, so now when we're shipping stuff across, what's in here? Well, it's elephants um, and uh, people, you know, <laughs> like that's it. Dick yeah. Cheney's like mysterious <laughs> life supply that makes him immortal. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dick Cheney has no pulse. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. So that when, if they get stopped, it's like, what country you're from? Oh, this is the country. Well, right. you're all Americans. Well, this is the boat. This is it. So flags of convenience. Yeah. No, that's been a thing for a long I time. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the merchant marines or merchant seamen. Um, I had a, com- going back to the computer thing, because I just remember this. Uh, the seamen thing is what tipped me off, and it's going the way you're thinking. Uh, oh, my computer at our former place of work, Jonah... Uh-huh. The, the IT guy came this, over to I me and going. said, <laughs> I need to take your computer. You need to get a new one. I said, why? And he said, because your computer, there's a virus that apparently is just spewing out porn into the entire system. What? Dude. And I was like, I have not looked at porn on this computer, I swear. And he's like, I don't doubt it. I'm like, you do kind of. <laughs> no, because it would take 10 years for it to load on that computer, I'm yeah. sure. Like, it, was, it was ridiculous. It was, you know, a giant box that I had sitting on, a, you know, another wooden box because I wouldn't want it on the floor. And he said, it's just spewing out a virus into just oh, everywhere. Was it a PC? Company. Yeah. Oh, so it had a worm. That can really yeah. happen. That sounds like something where someone gets caught with porn is like, oh, it's a virus. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> and then like, check everyone. There was only one time that we ever looked at porn on the computer. It was when the Paris Hilton sex tape came out. The writers at the time were on a different floor, all crowded around and just watched it. And half of the writers were women, so that was really kind of fun. That yeah. was a big. Dude, that was a big cultural moment. I the, feel like not to frighten you, but it, the truth is, is that there's a lot of the kind of Mission Impossible stuff that you see on the movies, and you're like, yeah, right. Like you can get into the computer and do everything. A lot of that stuff is very close to reality. There's there's actually there's a virus that can that they can that somebody can remotely load into your iPhone, which then can pick up vibrations from your keyboard if your iPhone is sitting on the desk and can guess with like something like 87% accuracy what you're typing. This is a real thing. I'm sorry, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> that's but awesome. That's like, that would ruin the movie for me. I'd be like, I'd be totally stoked with this guy scaling the skyscraper and then 
when he reads the keyboard through the iPhone, I'd be like, fuck, that's completely impossible. There's no way you could ever do that, dude. I'm just, I'm going to go get some popcorn. But it that's really exists. See, that scares so, the crap out of me, but all they would, you know, if they did that at my computer, <laughs> would tell, I'd be like, this guy types Amazon a lot. <laughs> yeah. Really searching for the origins of Wonder Woman. Yeah, like, why does this guy look for so many silkworm B-sides? Like, <laughs> what is this band? That this guy, this, why is this guy working? This must not be accurate to 87%. <laughs> no, no, no way. Um, silkworm B-sides. See, the fact that I know that's a band, that's what you're looking for. But it's Silkworm B-sides. Sounds like the name of a band that today's guest could have been in. Yes. Uh, today's guest has been in many, many bands. His name is Josh Newton. And you've heard a band he's been in. You just don't know it. You have. Got it. And we list all of them at the beginning, so we're not going to do it right yeah, now. Yes, so let's not do it because we will do a better job when I list like seven and then I'm like, what about this? And then he named a couple more. It's and then I felt like after the podcast, there were more that me and him figured out that he just didn't even mention. He's just been done so much. He's just such a workhorse in the scene and you've seen him and you've heard him play and he's just a cool rocking dude. So yes. Josh Newton. You have to start with this one because you need to name every band Josh was oh, in. Oh man, every band Josh was in. Good luck. Shiner. J- today on, on Going Off Track, I guess it's Josh <laughs> Newton from Shiner, Every Time I Die with Knives. Should I jump in? From Autumn to Ashes. From Autumn to Ashes. Reggie in the Full Effect. Okay. Uh, season to Risk. And there's probably, a, oh, Unsane for a bit. Yeah, there's others. Really? <laughs> yeah. How long did you do Unsane? One tour. Wow. They were trying out the second guitar player thing, and apparently they didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That is so crazy. I didn't know that one. Could you keep the video for Scrape out of your head when you played it? It was actually, that record was halfway done. So we were playing that song on the tour, but the video hadn't been made. And uh, they had yet to rise to their stardom (laughs) that video was so cool because like that was like at a time when like you didn't like couldn't just go on youtube and watch that yeah like i was like man this is so crazy yeah it was pretty neat like really awesome cheap idea for a video (laughs) it's like like so mythical like now that video yeah like like, forever and i remember back at even now um, I'll get a random email from people at Fuse. Like, what are the what are the most crazy videos? And I always say "Scrape" by Unsane, yeah. top of the list. It's a great one. It's, it's yeah. God, it's ruthless. And you just got back from touring with Fall Out Boy. Yep, I uh, I guitar tech for Fall Out Boy presently. From my bandmate Joe Troman is also my boss, so it's he's a real taskmaster. That guy. He is. He is. He's a real tough one to to mm-hmm. deal with. He's a real tone merchant. <laughs> uh did you know that follow boy played coachella i did not know they played, played one coachella. song josh just told me we drove two hours each way to play one song with uh two chains wow yeah did, did you get to see any other bands or i saw a few minutes of savages who were okay. really they were great i thought you know i dig their female joy division vibe <laughs> I hope that wasn't as condescending. No. <laughs> it wasn't as meant to be as condescending no, no, no. as it can. I don't think you can condescend by throwing in Joy Division as a comparison to a band. It's true. I think that's okay. Maybe if you're talking about Interpol at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. they seem to not Just, take too kindly to it. Yeah, but they they should stop that. But it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Those first few Interpol records were great. They were great. Those first two were really solid. Yeah. And, you know, we knew what you were doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what is what is the musical arc for you? Like, where did it all start? Um, it started in an awful noise rock band called Glazed Baby. And that it was how I... Does. Yeah. We can't play and we're really angry and we want to be slow and like the swans, but kind of like Jesus Lizard, but we can't play. So that was that band. Um, and that was in the early 90s. I, was, I think I was like 17 when we started and put out a three-song seven-inch and decided to go on tour for a month. The first of many, many bad ideas. When was this? How old were you? <laughs> uh, I was 17 or 18. And okay. where? Uh, we were in Providence, Rhode Island. Ah. Kind of between Providence and Boston, actually. And where are you from? I'm from New Bedford, Massachusetts. Ah. Home of <laughs> marathon bombing. Uh, oh, really? College town, yeah. Oh, wow. It's pretty crazy. My mom called me like, there's feds everywhere. <laughs> were you in the country or were you? I was in Coachella. Okay. Or in L.A. But everybody cool, you know? Everybody's... Yeah, everybody's okay. fine. So Glazed Baby. Glazed Baby. Um, and I was also in a goth band called uh, Holy Cow <laughs> that played with a lot of gothy <laughs> bands, um, Alien Sex Fiend and stuff like that. So okay. Like real serious goth stuff. But we oh. were more like Birthday Party and the Swans kind of. Um, so that, yeah, I was doing both of those at the same time. And then uh, we played a show, Glaze Baby played a show with Unsane, and our bass player decided to take acid prior to the show. So he kind of ruined the show a little bit. It was half awful and half awesome. It was awesome in retrospect. At the time, it was awful. Um, but he was just kind of tuning his bass, like, middle of the song, like, what is going on here? Because he was on acid. And so I made a joke to Unsane, like, hey, if you guys ever need a second guitar player. And about a month later, they called me. <laughs> No way. Yeah, just a totally offhanded, I'm angry at my band comment, and they called me. So I practiced, and we, I practiced, and we went on tour. I never actually practiced with them until we played a show. No way. What was the <laughs> first show like? Uh, it wasn't bad. I only played a few songs, um, but they also had me selling merch. <laughs> so it was a really strange combo. We like practiced at Soundcheck, like, yeah, that's good enough. All right, go sell shirts until it's time to play those few <laughs> We're songs. We're going to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that for a while. It seemed like the longest tour of my life. It seemed like it was about three years long, but I think it was about a month and a half. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. What started you down the path of music? Um, Kiss. Seeing Kiss on the Dinah Shore show was uh, what did it. I think I was five or something and saw these monster superhero men on tv and i was like that's that's what i'm gonna do and that was pretty much it that was from yeah that was the end of the beginning who's your favorite <laughs> who is your favorite kiss member um probably gene simmons yeah even though i played guitar he was my favorite i liked the blood and that he was evil and you know i thought that was really interesting and then he did a solo record where he sang When You Wish Upon a Star. He really did. And that was, wow, that was rough. Yeah. I mean, but as a kid, I didn't know that it was as awful as it was, you know. I mean, I didn't like that song specifically, but I didn't know how bad Kiss was when I was a kid until I heard actual music that was not so bad. <laughs> what was that music? Um, well, I mean, it's still 
was pretty bad when I liked Motley Crue and stuff like that, you know, when I was 11, 12 years old. Um, but I, my older sister was a punk, of course, and she uh, made me listen to The Exploited and The Who and all that stuff, like Susie and the Banshees and The Cure, and that's where all that came in. So I was liking, you know, White Lion and the exploited at the same time if that somehow makes any sense it's okay <laughs> both bands that i liked at one point when i was younger that are very difficult to listen to now yeah they don't really yeah not a lot of staying power with either of those no bands. way God. i know the exploited is more credible but man i used to listen to that all the time and that's I, pretty rough too yeah dude from a completely different area of badness yes <laughs> yes so you started out on guitar yeah okay and did you always well initially well? i tried to play drums okay but I am just not a drummer. I would have given anything. Like, if I could play drums now, I would never play guitar or bass ever again. But uh, I am just not coordinated in that way. I'm not one of those guys. And I hate those guys that can do all that stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I played drums for... Played. Quotations around played. <laughs> drums for a bit. And then I got a guitar. And uh, it took a while to figure out that I was left-handed. <laughs> and it didn't make any sense as to why this... I Are you just left-handed with guitar? Or no. You, okay. Uh, but there were only right-handed guitars around. Gotcha. So I was like, I can't do it. And then I was like, oh, wait, this makes sense. So you were writing, doing everything left-handed. Yeah. But I didn't realize, you know, I was 11 years old, and I didn't realize that you could string a guitar the other way, or you could play, or anybody played left-handed, or it was just, hey, here's a guitar. Right. Why is this so dumb? Did you ever try to not string it left-handed and, and, and keep it normal like one of those guys? I do that with Joe's stuff now, actually. I check all of his stuff upside down. It's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> and when people see me doing it, they're like, wait, why do you, how, what? It's just, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's just upside down. Right. That's funny. It's an e, it's just the e store the E needs to be. Yeah. So you're playing guitar left-handed. Yep. Um start a band you know i have the usual punk's awful. not dead when the children cry yes yeah. <laughs> over in the children cry maybe punk is dead <laughs> um so you know i went into i started bands emulating like metallica and stuff like that because that's the obvious progression from when you take those two somehow somehow metallica is the middle ground that makes sense um and there was uh, you know the usual crappy hardcore stuff that you know not like black flag and stuff that i still enjoy now but the bands that were like kind of bad that you just kind of listen to for a bit um so yeah having awful metal bands happened until i was about 16 or so but i was also really into skateboarding so my time was kind of divided but then when we actually started a band that was like not so bad i stopped skating and because i didn't want to hurt myself because Every time I saw Metallica in a magazine after that, one of them had like a broken arm from skateboarding. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, if I want to play music. If I want to be Steve Vai, I can't uh, break my arm. It's true, man. It's true. Yeah. So many Steve Vai's sidelined by skateboarding. Yeah, and Steve Vai himself, not a great skateboarder. <laughs> so. So was that, when did China start? Um, okay. Wow. This is, there's a gap there's quite a gap between all that stuff let's fill in the gap all right so glazed baby did all that stuff went and did an insane tour uh went back to glazed baby moved to kansas city to play bass for season to risk so that was actually the first band that i played bass for okay season to risk were on columbia and red decibel the same label that glazed baby was on um 
we'd gone through Kansas City many times, and it was kind of a fun party town. And, you know, everybody, it was a pretty tight musical scene. Their bass player quit. Their bass player joined Shiner. So I became Season of Risk bass player. And then a few years after me being in Season of Risk and touring with, like, Seven Year Bitch and Monster Magnet and COC and bands like that, Shiner had a second guitar player named Joel Hamilton, who lives here as well, actually. Um, He quit. So I joined Shiner. I quit Season of Risk and joined Shiner as their second guitar player. So I was the second dude to quit Season to dude, Risk. Those to season join Risk guys must have been so bummed. Yeah, they're not stoked <laughs> about being basically a farm team for Shiner. You're the Timothy B. Schmidt for Shiner. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Nerd rock reference. <laughs> I, have no, I don't get that one. See, Timothy B. Schmidt replaced the bass player from Poco who joined the Eagles. And when the bass player from the Eagles left, they grabbed Timothy B. Schmidt, who replaced him originally in Poco, and brought him into the Eagles. Boom. I hate the Eagles. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> I'm not really a fan myself. No, I can't get into it. But Poco. Poco's pretty good. He's good, good guitar I'll, playing. I'll take Poco over the Eagles. Anyway. Somebody very smart on who programs Showtime, they have the uh, the Eagles documentary. Mm-hmm. They air the Eagles documentary, and then right after it aired the Big Lebowski. That's awesome. Very sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great in-joke. Yeah. So you're now in Shiner. Yes. Uh, in Shiner, touring a lot. Um, go to, like, Europe and Japan for the first time. And that was pretty awesome. Um, and it was weird because it was the first band that I was, like, so proud of musically. And I, I was, like, really into what we did. Because I was actually a fan of the band before I joined. And I... I thought they were pretty awesome. I had the Lula Divinia record, and I thought it was great. And I mean, but it was weird because they were my friends, and it was weird, like not musically worshiping, but having one of your friends' bands be your favorite bands is kind of a weird, awesome thing. But I think it's kind of rare. But so they asked me, yeah, they asked me to play guitar, and I jumped at the chance and quit season risk. Uh, yeah, so we. Went and recorded a record with um. No, we didn't record a record with them. Sorry, we signed up to owned and operated records, which is Bill Stevenson and the whole All Crew Descendants. Really, I never, thing. I didn't know about that. Yeah, so that was pretty neat. Like getting to meet, you know, or know Stefan and Bill, and that was pretty neat. So yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. And then after, so after that record, we went back to DeSoto Records, which is owned by Jawbox and. You know, Kim and Bill. Jay Robbins produced the last China record. Okay. We put that out in 2001, I think. Continued to tour and beat our heads against the wall. and Nobody really cared. Um, went out with, like, Death Cab for Cutie, who were touring for the photograph photo, album. Photo yeah, album. yeah. Because that was on DeSoto. Yeah. No, it was on Barcy. Yeah, it was Barcy. Sorry. Yeah. But we going out with them was like we were like Slayer opening up for them. People were super not psyched. But it was weird. They were like I felt like that era, like that transatlanticism photo album. Like they had like some like kind of aggressive or like dissonant. They did. They like, were, they were noisy and like I kind of miss that a little bit. Yeah, we to- yeah 
for that record, we toured them and Jets to Brazil, and the Jets to Brazil fans were even more bummed at us. Like, who are these dumb meatheads? You know, it was like, and so not the case. Right. You know, we were doing our we want to be hum sort of driver Radiohead thing, but all these kids were just not having it. They just wanted Blake to sing their feelings or something. I don't know. But I'm sure, like, you guys also would play with, like, heavier bands where you were, like, the wimpy band. Not really. Really? We didn't, we didn't get thrust into the metal thing a lot. Like, we didn't... A lot of the people who were fans of that band that did heavier stuff didn't have their bands yet. So, like... Okay. It was kind of like a weird reverse thing. The same thing happened with Hum, though, too. When they would go out and play shows again, rarely afterwards, it was always with, like, sort of screamo, heavy, rock, you know, like Hope's Fall and bands like that, who they didn't really exist when we were actually functioning bands. Right, which I feel like must be annoying when people are like, oh, I love Shiner. It's like, dude, where were you when we were touring? Well, that's that the thing. When we did these four shows last August, it was kind of, I don't know, I'm jumping around like crazy. That's fine. <laughs> um, we, we couldn't, you know, I wanted to play at St. Vitus. I wanted to do... I had talked to Artie about doing, let's do two nights at St. Vitus over a weekend. It'll be awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it ends up initially being at Irving Plaza, which was just way too big. And then it got moved to the Gramercy, which was awesome. But I had no idea there was going to be that many people that would have cared and come to the show. It was mind-blowing. And it was definitely a where were you, because last time we were playing New York, we were playing Brownies, and it was nowhere near full. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was pretty embarrassing last time we were at Brownies. That was 1906, I think. <laughs> Ought six. Yeah. So then when did I first saw you, I think, met you with uh, From Autumn to Ashes? Yes. So were you part of the inception of that band? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> what band are you part of the inception for? Uh, with Knives. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Glace Baby. Um yeah, it's weird. I just kind of like am apparently able to assimilate myself to whatever project I need to be a part of for a while. Um, so after Shiner ended, you know, doing all the touring and no one caring, um, which didn't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we still played awesome shows and had fun. It was just kind of like, you know, Ben's been around for 10 years. What are we doing? It's the old shit or get off the pot thing. And we didn't think we were going to write a better record, so we were just like, yeah, screw it, we're done. Um, and then I was working in a record store in Kansas City, and James DeWeese used to come in all the time, who was in Coalesce. I think this was before he was in the Get Up Kids. But that's when we became friends, and he would start to send me all the Reggie stuff. And I don't even remember him asking or what happened, but somehow I ended up playing bass in Reggie. So <laughs> I did that for a while. And we did a tour with From Autumn to Ashes who were literally the worst live band I'd ever seen. <laughs> it was astoundingly bad. What was so bad about it? Ugh, they were just... They were so bad, I couldn't even figure out what they were doing. <laughs> like, musically, like, it was... I realized, you know, the guitar player wasn't, like, the best or whatever. He, he was the guy who wrote the songs. But, like, he may have had his issues at the time and... First of all, I wasn't even a fan of the genre at all, <laughs> but I couldn't figure out like why this guy was screaming and this Phil Collins drum mic drummer guy, and they just weren't playing well. I don't think they were getting along. Um, they were all like drinking and partying uh, too much, and 
yeah, they were just awful, absolutely awful. And the next thing I know, they were like, hey, because Reggie was done because James was going to go do something else like Newfound Glory or My Cam or whatever he was going to do next. And uh, I was delivering pizza <laughs> and from Autumn to Ashes for like, hey, do you want to fill in? We have to go do this stuff. Sure, let's let's go. Send me your music so I can learn it. And I stayed for three years. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I became, you know, invested in what we were doing. Um, I didn't really love all the old stuff, but I thought things got better as we went along. Fans disagreed, but (laughs) I thought musically it got better. So. And so then from there, then it was every time I died? Yep. Okay. We were, I was in, I was at Reading and Leeds with Vermont to Ashes and I got really drunk on tequila and I was like, you know what guys, I, I gotta, I have to bow out of this. We were done with the, the European tour and I was like, you guys should get someone who appreciates this and wants to be here. I just don't. I like, I like you guys a lot and, but this is not my thing. I got home, turned on my phone at the airport and Andy from Every Time I Die had texted me and said, hey, come play bass. So... I went and played bass for them and stayed for four years. So you treat every band like college, basically. <laughs> yeah, every band is a new experience, and it's just a I go and experiment. Is that fun? <laughs> those, I mean, I like those dudes a lot. They no, they're fun. all good dudes. It was a yeah. it was an awesome time. Um, but again, I kind of just I don't know. I I, I did put myself into it again um, musically, and you know, I actually wrote with those guys. And stuff and it was it was a fun time and then i was just burnt out because while doing every time i die we also started doing the damn things um which is a band we forgot i on the can't list. believe i forgot about the damn <laughs> thing in my head i was like we forgot the damn things and but then but then i have that moment of maybe that's the one Josh wasn't in. <laughs> well, but now I'm picturing the video and there you are. I'm in the video a lot. And at the time, I was like not really in the band. And I was really uncomfortable filming that video. Like, guys, are you sure I'm the one who should be driving the van? Like, I'm not. Am I? And they were like, shut up. Just do it. Yeah, it was really. <laughs> hey, Scott Ian. Yeah. Oh, that was so weird. The first time I walked into practice, I was like <laughs> freaking out. Because, you know, on my journey through music, that was a middle school, I bought the I'm the Man EP, single, <laughs> whatever it was. With all three different versions? Yeah. That was an interesting idea. Um, <laughs> a lot of versions. But walking in and he was standing there playing the not Yankees guitar. And I was like, whoa, I'm like freaking out here a little bit. And I had to like go and play the songs that he didn't didn't know because they didn't send me all the songs because they weren't done. So I just kind of went commando. <laughs> like, how does that one go? Did you tour with them? Yep. I've played every damn thing show. We did a bunch of Euro stuff, and I think we did two U.S. tours. You just played like the Knitting Factory or something, right? That was the very first show. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was a little terrifying. And it was funny, like, playing with dudes that, don't play clubs that size. Right. Like they kind of forgot how to do it a little bit at first. It was really something funny to uh, see. Like dudes that are legitimately famous musicians, you know, two guys from Anthrax and two guys from Fallout Boy. Just seeing them thrust back into this old environment was really funny to watch. 
I mean, they handled it well. I mean, nobody, there was no diva stuff. Nobody needed special honey imported from Peru or anything. <laughs> they didn't uh, mind people getting that, getting super close to them performing. Uh, Scott did seem a little weird about it sometimes. Um, you know, because him being good friends with like Dimebag, Daryl, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, he wasn't really used to no barricades and people like right in your face. It had been a while. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but you know, he dealt with it. We, it was it was fun. I think we'll probably end up doing another record. I was gonna. I was my next question if it was finished. Or not. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Didn't mean to cut you off from your own oh, question. Oh please, it's unnecessary. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's ideas being thrown around. Um, it just kind of depends on whenever Anthrax and Etid now Fall Out Boy aren't busy. Now where are you living now? I live in Greenpoint. Yeah. Okay, just up the street. Wow, Greenpoint represent. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and so how did so with knives joe talked a bit about that with us yeah that was joe was actually our first guest on the podcast to like the very first episode right very really first episode was joe yeah Truman. awesome um he yeah can talk he, yes he can talk joe Troman can just go and he's hilarious it's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah you must spend a lot of time with that dude a lot of time <laughs> we're i mean yeah he's he's probably my closest friend yeah um we spend way too much time together and make other people feel really uncomfortable because they think we have the exact same awful, awful sense of humor. So when we just get going on something that could happen like right here, people think we're automatically doing an in-joke. And it, it, Keith Buckley and Andy Hurley, when we were with Damn Things, would just be miserable because Joe and I would just riff on the dumbest thing forever and riff by the way <laughs> on just the dumbest stuff and just go and go until they would eventually like leave the room or tell us they hated us or it never failed like well what's the what's a random thing no, we just like okay like we decided that um somebody was talking about their grandpa and their grandma and joe or i said this dumb thing how there shouldn't be grandmas there should just be female grandpas because at that point Sex is really, you know, their sex is really relevant age-wise. And they've just kind of become this being. And I, that's one thing. You know, just something like that. I think it'll go on for days. Yeah. And it's not funny, but (laughs) that's why it's funny. (laughs) So you were like, we need to start with knives. We need our own band so no one else gets annoyed by us. And we only have one other dude that plays with us so he can just be bummed out by himself. Yeah, totally. And there won't be two teams. (laughs) So now you have this dynamic on with Fall Out Boy... Yeah. We're going back out on the road. Yep. So Joe just said, hey, why don't you come hang out? Yeah. And we can do this constantly. You, pretty much. I can pay you to do this with me is ultimately what it will be. <laughs> but I mean, he, you know, I, I'm such a, a a guitar and musical gear nerd junkie that he knows no one really cares about his stuff as much as I do because <laughs> I care about everyone's stuff. I just, I love musical gear. It's like. Really? Yeah. It's what got you into gear? Just the it was just the part of my job that I am crazy obsessed with. More guitar, more bass, or both? Pedals, guitars, bass, amps, computer programs for recording those things. Any of it? I'm, I'm completely obsessed. Josh will post these photos, and I'm just like drooling, like all, <laughs> especially all like the orange stuff, yeah, and like original orange stuff. Any of it? Like they're doing cool stuff again now, and. That's that's a company that I work with a lot. They've they're pretty awesome. I played in a band with a guy in California in ninety seven. 
and he makes his living selling stuff on eBay, basically. Yep. And he had an orange. I didn't know what an orange was, but it was original. Nice. And it couldn't have been, I mean, it was probably as long as my forearm. And it was the heaviest thing. Yeah. I didn't understand it. I'm like, <laughs> what is in here? Yeah. And why do we have to bring it? And why do you need, fi- I was a drummer. I, yeah. so why do you need oh, 15 guitars? We only play 10 songs. Played on one. I just couldn't get it. But yeah. he was of that mindset. It's a, it's a problem. Yeah. Like, my wife shouldn't know what humbucking or single-coil pickups are. Mm. But because she's around me, she does, <laughs> unfortunately for her. And, I mean, she could care less, What she knows. What's, like, your ultimate, like, have you had any, like, crazy thrift store, like, gear finds? Actually, yes. Um, the first orange amp that I bought, I bought a half stack. And it was in a friend's uh, garage, just kind of, like, on its side and in the corner and clearly no one cared about it and <clears throat> the bass player in shiner his what he was going to with his wife to babysit their kids and he's like oh you know friend so-and-so has this this orange in his garage you should see if he wants to sell it i was like all right yeah well I'll ask him i'm thinking you know might want 1500 bucks for the right, right. stack or whatever calls me up immediately and he's like he wants 200 bucks and i was like he wants 200 dollars for a half stack a head and a 412 cabinet. Yep. Well, tell him I'll give him 250 <laughs> just so I didn't go straight to hell. Because <laughs> that's insanely underpriced. Yes. Um, Do you yeah. think he didn't know what he had? Or he no, he knew. Him? He just didn't care. He wasn't playing wow. it anymore. And those are my favorite kind of people. They just don't care. Yeah, well, if they know, you don't feel like you're ripping them yeah. off. Yeah, no, he was, you know, I, I, when I went to get it, he explained to me how he tried to... He tried it on the other voltage settings for Europe and England, and it didn't sound very good. So, <laughs> thank God it still worked. That's, that reminds <laughs> me of this is even more geeky than your musical geek reference. Did you guys ever see that deleted scene in High Fidelity? Yes. <laughs> it's from the book. Yes, it's from the book. Where he goes over and this woman's like selling all her husband's like vinyl, and it's like the craziest shit ever. He dicked her over and said, Summer oh. Records, and she was like, Take it all. And he's like, I, I can't. Yeah, she's... I can't. <laughs> and not only, here's, this is geeky. Um, in the movie, he buys like, like a, like an A&M pressing of the Sex Pistols. Right. Dumb rare. But in the book. Otis was, Redding or something? Solomon Burke. Solomon Burke, yes. Nerd talk. Nice. <laughs> um. <laughs> From gear. You know, I actually wanted to talk about something else that you mentioned earlier. We can talk about everything. Okay. <laughs> when you said, uh, when you brought up Dimebag, yes. I was talking to someone about this recently, and like it seems like whenever something happens like involving like an airplane or something crazy, they change the security. And I felt like that is still crazy to me that someone got killed playing a show on yeah. stage. And someone was telling me because it was like Damage Plan and it was like a smaller band that maybe it didn't get the kind of, have the repercussions. I mean, like... To me, that's crazy. And then with that Lamb of God thing, it's like, yeah, like, of course, if someone jumps on stage, you're going to want to, def- like, you don't know anything. I mean, that this isn't a question at all. But I, I mean, what do you think about that? I guess I, mean, I agree completely. I mean, last week or two weeks ago, every time I die, I was playing a show and apparently someone pulled a gun outside and shot shots in the air because there was like a fight or something somewhere in Ohio or something. Um, it's still kind of just like. The Wild West, once you go yeah. into a show, you know. I mean, there's places where you can't do anything. You know, you get thrown out for clapping too loudly or something. But 
for the most part, you know, I get to see everywhere. It's still kind of just like good, you know, entering the Thunderdome when you go in there. Do you think that that's kind of like, I mean, because I feel like a lot of punk rock and the world you're in, it's like there is like a level of like being uncomfortable, which is kind of part of it. And yeah. when that gets taken away, also it becomes a little too. So that do you think it needs that dynamic a little? But I think if there is that stuff, I would rather see it come from the bands towards the crowd, you know, yeah, be it like an Iggy Pop or like Icarus line sort of confrontational thing. I'm not saying like he has to come out and smash you in the face with a mic stand. Right. Um, but I, I, I enjoy that give and take w- with the crowd and stuff. But like it's it just seems like I say like a lot. Um, people kind of just... I don't know. It's it's weird because in the time that I've been doing it, the touring and stuff from pre-internet, where it's become more of like an event to go to, like to to see and be seen at, and less of about the show. So it's kind of just people who shouldn't be there necessarily, air quotes, are there, and probably don't have the mindset of most of the people there, and are. Some people do some messed up things. <laughs> How often would you guys have to stop like every time I die shows because of fights and that kind of stuff? We rarely stopped for fights. Um, Just let them go. Yeah, usually. And it would usually it would police itself, the situation. Or there's a couple of times when I may have gotten involved in the fracas. Um, some guy punched that tour manager in St. Louis and I jumped off the stage and threw him out of the club myself. Actually, when I was in Reggie... Steve Looker, the guitar player, he did yes. that too. Mm-hmm. He grabbed a guy and he actually literally threw him out the door. <laughs> I can see Steve doing that. Yeah. You guys know Steve from culture, probably. Most yes. people. You <laughs> um, found Glory Roadie as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, what happened with Every Time I Die? Why'd you leave? Uh, I was really burnt out from combining the two bands um, and damn things and every time yeah yeah totally all the touring you know kind of like instantly one after another there were many times when keith and i were flying from one thing to another immediately with no break and no going home um i kind of just wanted to spend some time at home and hang out with my wife for a bit which led to a job uh doing production assistant stuff for saturday night live um for the digital shorts stuff and the commercial spoofs so I did that for a while. How'd that happen? Random. That doesn't just happen. Well, I, yeah, it was... Everything you say is random, but there... That's, what I, that's how I feel like everything. Like, I meet this guy, and someone says, hey, you want to do this? And that's how it happens, which literally was the case, because... So let me explain how that doesn't work. The man... I'm 41. Uh-huh. That's never happened to me. You do some things. Yeah, but yeah. no one goes, hey, let's get him to do it. I think people do. No. You've hosted all the shows. Yeah, I mean, I like, auditioned for that shit. It wasn't like call him. It was like call wanted, need like, somebody. And you well, I mean, but, but you know what I mean. He's like in a gazillion bands doing all this stuff. But it's like it's uh, one from the little amount of time we spend together. You're a cool guy, and I think that's more than half of it. Being able to play, and knowing your gear is just icing. Yeah, you know what I mean. And knowing it's, when to shut up and yeah. is part of it. They, they they say they say the, the they say the key to any job interview is can you do the job? We love the job. Can we tolerate being with you? Exactly. And every time I die, I was well. Every time I die, and from Autumn to Ashes were the first times that I ever just like I had known them from being on tour with them, but I didn't know them. Like, hey, we had a couple beers together, 
And I just got in the van like, all right, here we go. I don't know you. Let's go do this. Um, but it worked out pretty well both times for a while, you know. You got to play Jimmy Kimmel. Yep. I saw that. I like that band. That was fun. It was a good time. Dude, every time I die, I run those bands where, like, speaking of, like, inside jo- like, I felt like there was, like, an inside joke with, like, I felt that they had a very specific sense of humor. Yeah. And, like, I never really got it, but so many people I knew were, like, so into it. I mean, how would you kind of define it's just, that? It's, it's from what I, my vision of it was just sarcasm. Yeah. That was it. Um, just making fun of anyone else and each other, you know. The band takes what it what they do very seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously at all. I think that's kind of different from most bands of their ilk. You know, they're just like super tough guys and never smile and nothing's funny and I'm really angry and you know, those dudes fart and laugh and eat wings. <laughs> <laughs> they're really funny dudes. Yeah. Did they ever do you know you know what the Blitzkrieg is? No. So they're all big wrestling fans. Oh yeah. And 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 the the uh, and Warrior, formerly the Ultimate Warrior, but now yes. name changed. He's just Warrior. Um, I've he, been watching his YouTube videos. Oh, they're great. <laughs> he would do this thing on WWE or when it was WWF, and he would just call the Blitzkrieg, where he would just jump into camera and go Blitzkrieg and pump his arms. So every interview with every time I die. One of them would sneak off camera and just jump right in front of the camera and yell Blitzkrieg. And just, it seems like a very and Jordan just, or Andy thing to and do. And just run away. Yep. And it was always, always the funniest thing. It never not made me laugh. Yeah. And it was weird because joining that band was like, they do so much video stuff. Like, you know, putting out a DVD with every record or all the webisode stuff. So it was interesting to have people get to see you in a way where you weren't just on stage playing or just in pictures where they were watching these videos over and over again of some off the cuff thing. One of us would say, and they, they would come up to you and like repeat it and be like, dude, remember like no hands. Remember? You're like, no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> right. No hands. Uh huh. And then they're like, you know, in the video when you, Oh Yeah. Okay, <laughs> now this is less awkward. <laughs> it's happened it's a lot of weird things like that. Like I've watched dudes try to kiss Jordan a lot, and that makes him extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> he doesn't know them. <laughs> What's it like for you as far as like doing the teching work? Like when you're working with Joe or something, are you like, man, I want to get back out there. That looks so fun. Or are you like, man, it's so awesome being back here and having not thousands of people staring at me? No, I'm literally just listening, thinking, don't break, don't break, don't break. Like every minute that he's playing, I'm listening to the guitar and making sure it stays on. That's all I'm thinking about. What's, <laughs> have you had any sort of like thing? Because that to me is like the most nerve-wracking job where it's like all of a sudden an amp stops working yeah. and everyone's like looking at you and you're like, it doesn't work. Like, what are you supposed to do? I Well, I bring a lot of backups. Yeah. I'm bringing four on this next tour that we're doing. Um, doing the first four, sh- four shows, I did three shows, four shows, I did with them was really interesting because it was really, really small clubs like Studio at Webster Hall or uh, Subterranean, I think it was, in um, Chicago. There's no barricade. And there's just, you know, hundreds of little girls that want to look like they want to eat Pete Wentz, actually, is what they want to do. <laughs> um, 
So they're all just coming up on stage the whole time, and Joe decided to bring this big pedal board with him. So there's all these adolescent butts falling on this pedal board repeatedly. So it's kind of stressful. And, like, you have to be nice to these girls as you're, like, you have to say, get the fuck off the stage the <laughs> nicest way you can. Right. While shoving them encouragingly at the same time. Would you guys ever hook up? What's the dynamic? And I hope this leads into a neat gear thing because I've seen uh, this might get loud. And I know that with you two, the edge, it's him, but it's also his guy. Like yeah. His tech guy. Like, that's, they, it's like. That's kind of the relationship that's, we're, we're cultivating that presently. Because then maybe you don't need all those he doesn't need too many of those pedals up there because isn't it yeah but i I think for part of it he likes the idea of making it different as much as he can within staying within the confines of of the fallout boy sound um just doing a a random pedal change here and there i mean we're we're switching to this midi rack system actually for this next tour that i'm building but uh for the most part he still likes to have control of what's going on because he's just as much of a nerd as I am. What's interesting too, especially I feel like the new, I don't know how many new songs they're playing, but the new stuff is way more atmospheric. At least from like Joe's point of view, it's not just like riff, riff. Yeah, there's a lot less like just straight up power chord, you know, rock that that used to be. Um, Yeah, we're going to get, we're going to do some interesting stuff, a lot of delay and filter stuff. And since he's so obsessed with Josh Homme, there's definitely a, as, as I am as well, um, there's a lot of weird, like, wah-wah on a little bit sound, so it's got that weird sound garden kind of guitar sound. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot going on. I think a lot more than people give that band credit for, musically. I think that just getting a... I, coming from a drummer's background, and I preface that with bad drumming, <laughs> um, which is just... Hit it. How does uh, sound good to me? You know what I mean? But guitar just... I know when I toured in a band, I would always have all my shit set up and ready to go. And the guitar players are still just dicking around and dicking around and dicking around. I'd be like, I, I have tweaked everything plus tuned. Yeah. See, that's why I felt like, I mean, aside from being the same problem as you, like I always play guitar and bass because I couldn't do all the independent stuff. But yeah. I was always like, I don't want to carry all that stuff and like spend like a half hour setting it up. Like it seems like so much work just to get your drums ready to go oh it's annoying as crap yes yeah, the, the other day we rehearsed for that coachella thing and i was the only tech that stayed everybody else went home so i had to set up the whole back line including the drums that sucks yeah <laughs> drums are awful yeah and andy doesn't have a big kit you know mm. at all yeah Andy's he does just, a lot with a little yeah he's just got you know three cymbals three drum four drums including the snare but i was just like all oh, the hardware and the huge cases and such a pain in the ass. Damn it, cymbals are heavy. Yeah. <laughs> they're made of metal. Yeah, turns out. <laughs> yeah, but guitars too, depending on what you're playing with. You know, if he's got a less polyp, that's a I heavy actually have a guitar damn. made of metal now, so that's pretty heavy too. A, a, a what, like a lap stealer? No, just... it's this company called Electrical Guitar Company. It's all aluminum. Is that Steve Albini saying? He's got one too, yeah. Yeah. And Buzz from Melvin's is playing them, and dude from Mastodon. Why, what's the difference? Like, it feels more alive to me. Like the whole thing is much more resonant. Um, it's it's really they're awesome. I don't, I've gotten rid of every every other wood instrument I have. I only have their guitar and basses now. Really yeah. hardcore man. Yeah. 
and and you could easily kill somebody with it, so it's great. <laughs> I find it fascinating that you've been you've been drafted to either play guitar or bass, where it's usually we need a bass player. You know, you don't. Yeah, it seems to be the case that you know. Whereas now the friend of band in bands is the keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Just you know the guy. Well, he's cool too. Let's just get him, and he plays a couple notes on a keyboard. That used to be the bass player. <laughs> so. It seems like, yeah, people always always need a bass player because nobody wants to play bass, but I enjoy it. <laughs> so with, with joining all these projects or being asked to play and do stuff, do you have something that's just Josh? Yeah, I do. Uh, well, Wood Knife started out that way, actually. That was a bunch of stuff that I had just written on my own. Um, that's not anymore. Um, Truman. Yeah, he ruined it for me. Man. He ruined it by making me finish my songs and uh, making us record them and go play shows. What a jerk that yeah. did. Yeah. That did. Like he played our podcast thing. Yeah. Played live for the first time ever solo. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that was my fault. We were supposed <laughs> to play that. Oh, yeah. Oops. We forgot about that. Yeah. I, oh, well, thanks for nothing. My wife. Yeah. We had to go out of town. Sorry, your wife is great. We love her. <laughs> You can call her and blame her. I will. <laughs> I imagine with the amount of touring and time away when she's like, hey, we're going on a trip for me, you have to go, okay. Yeah, because I really don't have much to say about that in the sense of, but I want to, oh, I always do what I want to. <laughs> <laughs> but you said this earlier, like you're like, you know when to keep your mouth shut. And to me, like that's a very important, important tool in relationships. That neither of us have? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I, is why I'm not in one probably. I mean... <laughs> I have well, I have that mentality within bands. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily carry over. No, that's a that's a completely different scenario. I sit in a van all day and say nothing. You're going to listen to me. <laughs> I'm ordering sushi. We're having pizza. Apparently, Damn. get off the Pinterest. <laughs> I want to talk about pickups. Celestians. Yeah, it's <laughs> real great. She's she's quite a woman. Do you um do you enjoy Brooklyn? Uh, I do, despite the fact that we're leaving in a week. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cool. I, I, it's the first place I've lived in a long time that I felt like the you know a sense of community with a lot of having friends around, like seeing you around and Justin Skirty and you know all the Saint Vitus dudes and even just Joe being in the city. You know, we tend to spend a lot of time together because um, usually the bands that I play with are out of where I live because every time I die everyone was everywhere Jordan's in California and Keith's in Keith and Andy are in Buffalo drummers in Canada so it was like we never hung out unless we were on tour but it's, it's cool like I don't know Brooklyn's been awesome it's just too damn expensive yeah I'm getting shoved out <laughs> so North Carolina you're back to where you lived before Brooklyn yep. we okay. were in Chapel Hill for a couple of years so we're gonna go back there for a bit and I hate winter and they have less of one Yes. Mm-hmm. So that and the yard for the dogs. That's understandable. And what's your wife do? Um, she worked for a watch company doing, uh, getting their product stuff together. So you always had fabulous timepieces playing in all these bands. Well, she does. <laughs> but they, from what I understand, the company tends to uh, sort of m- imitate real designs and do their own spin on it. So sometimes they get to keep the samples that they buy. So she had good watches. I had a a watch band for an iPod Nano, I think is what I got out of the deal. <laughs> to 
That's so funny, man. So immediately back on tour, working with Joe? Yep. Okay. And is that forever and a day? Uh, Yeah. We're booked up until... I mean, booked up that I know about until September or October. Wow. Had you, is this your first kind of real teching experience, or had you done this in the past? Well, I mean, I've done it for myself for so long. Right. And, you know, like I said, Joe knows how anal I am about all that stuff. Like, <laughs> the Coachella thing... Um, I was, like I said, the only guy there for all four of them, which was super stressful. Um, they just jumped on to two chains, bands, gear. Okay. Nothing was set like how they like it. And it was just kind of like, you go and do this now. Hopefully it sounds okay. Um, it, it was pretty insane, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was fun. And I, we were driving back in the van and I was like, a little bummed out just because I mean, it, and it wasn't bad. It, the performance was well and went well and they were all happy. But I realized that I get so stressed out because I want everything to be perfect all the time, which is feasible. What is it? It must <laughs> like, I feel like for you though, watching a band, you must be like looking at the way they're playing it's and then miserable. like, it must be like, like, Oh my God, why isn't that guy turned down the mids? This could sound so much better or something. Yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely that way. There was when I, when we would, tour with shiner they would always laugh at me because when the opening bands would set up i would go up and like look at their stuff like walk up to the front of the stage and check out their gear and the uh, the other dudes in shiner said that i was nooching them where i would like go up and evaluate all of their gear before hearing a note and decide if they were going to be good or not basically <laughs> yep what was something that said uh-oh bad gig like what was a piece of gear that you saw that you're like no nope, they suck a crate Ugh, that's rough <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there goes that sponsorship. Thanks, Jonah. <laughs> Sorry, Crate. <laughs> um, we'll take you, Crate. You're out there. Crate's come a long way. Have they? Yes. I've, I've been out of the Crate game for about 15 years. They literally have... Uh, they've upped their game. Okay. <laughs> just don't open for me with one. <laughs> um, I, you know, just like... There's just... Mesa Boogie. No, I mean, I mean is, well, pretty I know Metallica. Be, I was just being dicky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if you showed up with a rectifier at shows for a while, I pretty much knew what you were going to sound like. Yeah, I had one, and I sounded like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do a rectifier, but I had one with a black grill. There you go. It's pretty cool. It set some, you apart. Yes, I was a real individual. <laughs> what if the band all had pods? Uh, well, Mashuka kind of do that. Okay, so not pods, but something similar. And Weezer did a tour like that. Where yeah, I saw them pods. on that. It was so weird to see a band playing with no amps on stage. Yeah. I'm kind of, even if you're not, I'd rather see a band have an amp on stage and not use it. Yeah. And fool me. Although, dude, it was so <laughs> weird. I think we talked about this before. I did, I worked on Taste of Chaos one year and it was mm-hmm. like Deftones and like Everly Dying and Thrice mm-hmm. And so many of the bands had these huge walls. I thought all the amps were real. And then I go behind the stage and it's just like a combo amp with a mic in front of it. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Like, who cares? This seems like so much work. And they're like, well, they're really light. There's no speakers in them. I'm like, but like, what's the point? <laughs> like, I don't know. To me, it's like, are people like that? Like, yes, there need to be tons of amps. Yeah. <laughs> but they are like that. I mean, I would, you know, I've played main stage at Reading and Leeds with a half stack. And I was like, eh, whatever. Right. There's plenty of monitors. It's fine. Exactly. I, you know, I didn't think any less of, of that. But then like... We were doing some tour with Lamb of God, and they had just that 
wall. Of, they weren't fake, but they weren't real either. Like, they just weren't plugged in. Right. And I was like, oh, this sucks for whoever has to move this stuff because you know it's not them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot to carry. Yeah. It seems that, I mean, I, I've gotten to that point where I know uh, Muse was in town recently and everybody was on Twitter talking about the, the set and the stage setup. And I, God, I, remember, I saw Muse at Bowery. Mm-hmm. It was a good show. But I was like, cool, I'm done. Yeah. You know, because I don't, I don't know, unless it's Iron Maiden, I really don't want to see, you know, a giant LED screen yeah. coming down. It doesn't do anything for me. It actually makes me think, well, you could do something cool with that money. You know, yep. like I feel I and I know it sounds because some people want the show and they want Cirque du Soleil and they want that kind of thing. But I just feel weird about it. And I imagine that, you know, going on into a fallout boy, but damned things, you know, s- seemed a little more down and dirty. Yeah, we just we just had amps and a backdrop eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Backdrops, I don't mind. <laughs> the first backdrop we had in Europe was a T-shirt. We put it up like did, that's everybody like, else did. That no effects backdrop is my favorite. They have this, like, shitty little sign that's, like, this big that awesome. they hang up crooked. Yeah. <laughs> like, we were talking about, like, using scrims and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And I've always... I, I hate scrims. I think they're just super cheesy. Because, um, you know, as a, as a gear nerd guy, I'd rather see your crappy amp back there. Exactly. Um, but I think it would be really funny to make scrims of amps. And I can't believe nobody's done that yet. Like, you could even put the lights in them to make it... You know, oh, I th- yeah. think that would be so goofy. And, like... Yeah, we have these dumb scrims, and they're the exact same thing as our amps. <laughs> I think that'd be great. I do, too. <laughs> I saw Massive Attack at Roseland, and they did all backlight. Really? So that they were just in shadow the whole time. Ah, that's kind of boring. Well, it worked for them, because <laughs> it was kind of like a hits tour, and yeah. so they brought every guest out oh, wow. who sang. So you only kind of could tell them by shape, basically. you know. And it, I mean, I like Massive but Attack But it might have been none of them. Might have been <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. It might have been none. But <laughs> I saw somebody recently and they did that. They only did the I think it was maybe quicksand. They only did like the backlighting thing. They had lights really bright lights like on the floor behind them and a, I saw like, I saw yeah. them they, they didn't have a backdrop though. They just came out. Quicksand amazed me when I saw them because they didn't change guitars. They didn't have in ears. Yeah. They didn't when I saw them Sergio toured like toured tuned once and they mm-hmm. just went so that always impresses me. Now that's I think that's awesome. weird, you know. Yeah, I mean, because I know Capone has a big setup. I know he does stuff. Does he? Looked like that for me, or at least I don't know. He gets some crazy sounds out of yeah, that. Yeah, he's got some stuff going on. Yeah, um, it's it's funny. You talk about years. I've never ever used them until Fallout Boy, and it's so weird. It's, I mean, I guess it's good, sort of, but it feels really disconnected, like. You're walking around in your own bubble with these things in there. To and me, you, to me, it just seems like it helps, but it's also just one more thing that can go wrong. Yeah, sort of. absolutely. It's for me. I, I I think it's terrifying. Like I wouldn't want to play shows like that, just because. You know, you'll see all these TV programs where somebody's always pulling one of their ears out so they can actually hear what's going on. Right, right. <laughs> Don't wear them. Yeah. You ever been to that thing called the opera? Yeah. Hey, I don't wear them. It's a simple way to avoid this. <laughs> don't start using them. It's got to be like wearing your headphones with you. you yeah. Know? Like, it is. Except that's the weird thing is like some bands will mix each other so they can't even hear like certain dudes. Like the drummer only gets the main guitar player. 
nobody else. Like to me, that's just really weird and kind of not the point that like not the reason I started playing music. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> I was just talking about this with someone. We were talking about running, and they were talking about running the marathon, and like that. I know a lot of people that have run like races or marathons with headphones, and I'm like, it's fun for training, I guess. But I'm like, don't you want to hear people like cheering? Isn't that like part of the experience? Like, yeah, hearing stuff. Like experiencing not getting experience? rid of one of your senses, you can listen to like. We remember the Winter Olympics when they would show the snowboarders. They would be getting ready for their run for their Olympic gold, <laughs> and they would quickly pull out their iPod, hit play, put it in their pocket. They've got headphones on, and they had certain songs they knew, you know, what tricks they were doing to, and it wasn't even what you were hearing. You got to get pumped up. Yeah, yeah, I get that part, <laughs> but then it's like you got to experience life too. Do you think they were listening to s- snow? <laughs> I, I did. I Maybe hope- informer. That would be great, yeah. Uh, I don't know why. You know what? Dude, I, Snowboarding. Because it was snow. a terrible pun, that. but it works. <laughs> I back it so hard. See, that's an example of, that would have cracked Joe Troman up had he been sitting right there. And then and then you would have just been going forever. Like, I think only you guys the Olympics have, have to listen to snow. And every routine you do in snowboarding has to be the snow. <laughs> has to be the informer. Yeah. So, if, you know, if you're going to do the, the triple back McDonald's twist. McTwist, they call it. <laughs> That's exactly. I was originally called the McDonald's twist. That's the problem with Joe. I could do this for hours. Never I like it. It would work. You'd uh, have to come up with new moves like the licky boom boom down that's right. now, whatever it is. I know. I was. I've been trying to think. I don't know. Aside from Snow Informer, I don't have a lot of like pop culture references for that dude. I think that's it. He's, yeah, he's Canadian. There's he's that. Canadian. That's true. He was the Canadian white rapper. Maybe was that rap? <laughs> You know what's sad is I just got the thing that maybe was a play on Vanilla Ice. What? His name. Snow. Oh, I never thought of that either. Interesting. Maybe. I mean, they kind of looked, they kind of did the same thing. I mean, they all look alike. I figured out. All white rappers look alike. I feel like that kind of stuff happens to me all the time where I pick up on something that like was so obvious for so long. Like, and it happened to me today, like, when someone was talking about twerking. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is twerking? And I was like, oh, they're tweeting and they're at work. Like, I guess <laughs> I think that's what it means. And I was like, oh, that that doesn't seem like that would be such a hard thing for me to figure out. But stuff like that happens all the time. There was another one that was even dumber. I just got pop secret the other day. <laughs> the popcorn. Because, mm-hmm. like, pop is popcorn. Mm-hmm. I never, like, top secret. <laughs> I never put it. I just. Why would I even think about it? Yes. Who's trying to keep because this popcorn? I didn't until right this second. Who's yes. keeping that popcorn a secret? Yes. Nobody. Exactly. <laughs> Pop secret is a play on top secret. I had my god. Yes. Yeah. That it's happens to me. Apparently, not very good. Because if it took us what twenty five? How long has Pop secret it, been around? Is it like is it really so good? good? Yeah. Like they're like people aren't going to get this for twenty years, and yeah. then one day they're going to be sitting like talking to someone. They're going to be like Pop secret. That's ultimately what happened to me. <laughs> I was like, no shit. It's like when you know. It's like when so you know. It's like that. You see that. Um, there's a secret arrow in the in the word FedEx. Yeah. What? Oh yeah. And you read about it. It was just an accident. Then you go do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> then you go do anything else. Or then then there's some actual names that don't make sense, like that place on Manhattan, White Burger. Yeah. It's like, dude, are you getting serious? I don't want to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Picture them like showing hardcore pawn inside. And That's like that famous. random white dog poop. Yeah. <laughs> it's not random. It's just well, old. Why does it happen? I, I don't, don't know. Want, I don't want, either way, I don't want to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that from the tour? What else? With knives, they're going to open up for Fallout Boy? 
<laughs> we actually talked about doing shows on days off and same cities. With knives, black cards, Patrick Stump, and yep. the damn things. All of them. And anthrax and every time I die. And <laughs> It's like Fallout Boy will headline the festival. And we can all just... Telling you right now, you could do Josh Fest. Yeah. And it could be every band you've played in. It would be a bunch of bands that I've ruined by being in. No. <laughs> that you've bettered. I have something to talk about with you. Please. Let's talk about how I was in France the other day, in Paris, and I went to breakfast. We were there for like three or four days with Fall Out Boy. Went to breakfast, and one of the other guys in the crew came, and he's like, so Rocket from the Crypt played here last night. And we didn't know until the next day sweet cool you mean i was doing nothing literally nothing in my hotel room and rocket from crypt was playing within a mile of here awesome that's how i like life to be (laughs) like i'm feeling really sad like like i don't i don't know how i would react had i heard that (sighs) sounds like that show was pop secret hey (laughs) thank you good night So Josh right now, I think, is on tour with Fallout Boy. He is. I think they just got back from Asia because I was trying to get them to bring my aunt back from Singapore. <laughs> and it almost happened. Oh, this, it, t- this is going to go. You can't get this aunt back until this podcast It almost ends. happened. The, but our it, last podcast, when we, <laughs> when we closed things down, that's when you can get I was so back. close. And, and him and Brian Diaz were so helpful and awesome about it but they were going through russia afterwards who and russia apparently is super strict about everything they, don't and like they couldn't bring any they just couldn't bring anything in that wasn't they didn't announce ahead of time just you know out of just to be play it safe so well, thanks like, for trying josh and brian hopefully in the future um but i think they're back because i think um follow boys doing stuff in the states all right on love those dudes always cool to talk to always yes and thank you nice. to joe for doing our live podcast being our first podcast guest, Joe Trauma from Fall Out Boy. So that whole camp, awesome. We'll get you all in here. Yes, eventually we will. Uh, hit us up on our website, goingofftrack.com. And by that, I mean you can listen to all our episodes there. Our website is fun. If you want to send us a message, go to facebook.com slash goingofftrack. Follow us on Twitter, all individual-like, or at goingofftrack. And that's about it for this week, everyone. Tune in next week, and if you have a tuner on your computer, it's time to buy a new computer or have Brad redo it for you. Brad, redo it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.